Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here today with Hardeep Kataria, O-D-F-A-A-O. Dr. Kataria is an associate at a retina practice in Oxnard, California. She became the first OD and the first woman hired by two uh, ophthalmologists in this, in this practice. And we're talking a little bit about how you make an imprint and, and make yourself heard um, when you're breaking into new territory, I guess. Welcome, Dr. Kataria. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Great, great. Tell us a little bit about how it came to be that you landed with this practice. So it was actually through association um, through a few ophthalmologists. Um, I originally had applied for a position through a recommendation of a friend, and she knew that I was looking for a very heavily um, uh, uh, heavy pr- uh, pathology practice, and that opportunity didn't work out, and and so. Um, through the grapevine, then this is how I came upon this practice. So it was really through word of mouth. Great. And and we've talked, we have a story with you in Women in Optometry about the importance of, of uh, transparency in the negotiations, sort of knowing what it is that, that you want. How much do you did you prepare for this interview and these negotiations? That's a great question. So I feel that negotiations, for me at least, are always a tad bit intimidating. And I definitely did prepare um, with with my current employer. So for the initial negotiate, negotiation, personally, what I will do is write down a few scenarios. Um, and I'll start with my most ideal salary, for example. And oftentimes, I'll overshoot that salary when I'm asking for... Um, uh, well, when I'm negotiating at first and, and if they come back and they don't agree with that number, then I'll bring other things into the negotiation like CE benefits, 401k profit sharing, health benefits, those sorts of things. Interesting. Are you an, a natural negotiator or did you have to kind of teach yourself this? Oh my goodness. Definitely not natural. <laughs> I definitely had to teach myself. <laughs> I think it's just through, um, you know, I've worked in a multitude of different settings, ranging everywhere from, you know, the retail optometric setting to the traditional optometry, uh, sorry, optometric setting to the VA to, you know, ophthalmology. And so um, through that experience, I learned a lot. And, you know, I had to take a lot of no's and that's okay. (laughs) Um, It's okay to hear no. Um, and, and what I learned is that you, you won't know until you ask. So I definitely had to practice with that. Right. Right. I've, I've said before that, you you know, negotiating, um, the, the best negotiators are sometimes three-year-olds because they don't stop at no, you know, and it's, (laughs) it's, it's easy to stop at no, you know, it, it's, it seems final, but it's not. I completely agree with that. It's not final. You can you can always bring something else into the negotiation. And as long as it's going down a positive path, you're going in a positive direction. Um, you know, I, I think it's always, everything's on the table. Uh, you know, um, we're, you're, you're talking to another professional, a colleague in a sense. And, and I think as long as you're respecting that relationship on both sides, I think really it's, it's okay to ask. 
Right, right. And I didn't mean to imply that we should negotiate like like three-year-olds, but <laughs> or maybe we can we learn something. <laughs> we can learn something from them. You know? I completely agree with that. That's a very good point. <laughs> um, and uh, so was your employer receptive to your interest in negotiating? Yes, very surprisingly so. Um, and, and it hasn't always been that way um, with other positions that I've negotiated, um, but my current employer definitely has been and um, has been very positive in opening up that discussion and kind of allowing room for um, creativity within the contract and in terms of productivity and that kind of thing. So I've always been very grateful that we've had that um, rapport and relationship where, you know, even um, past the initial negotiation, you know, every every year we renegotiate the contract. And so we've done that three times now and it's always been a very positive um, and, and has been received really well. That's that's interesting. So do you start tipping your hand? I mean, do you say, you know, in, in two months when we renegotiate, here's what I'd like to talk about? Or do you just bring it all on the, the, the set date? So that, that's actually a very good question. Um, I tend to bring it all on the set date. So I start thinking about what I would like to see um, changed in my contract about three to four months prior to my contract um, being uh, up and and so I'll kind of look at the year in review I'll look at my productivity I will look at how many average patients I'm seeing anything essentially um, that I've succeeded in in the past year that I can use as leverage um, to to really help me in making my case for the negotiation then I'll start kind of preparing that a few months in advance and then just bring everything out on the table interesting and and do you how how do you do that? I mean, it sounds like you, you actually present a case for yourself. We have a conversation about it. And so I, it, you're right in the sense that I do have to present a case for myself. So every quarter we sit down and we look at my productivity. We look at how much I'm billing, how much money I'm bringing in, how my dry eye clinic is doing, what the conversion rate has been. And we look at the numbers and, um, you know, the number of patients that I'm seeing always seems to be increasing every year we get busier, my clinic builds and my productivity is increasing. And so we look at those numbers um, and then I make my case accordingly. What's so interesting about that is it really uh, addresses two things. Not only does it show you where show you where you are it shows your employer uh it, it's kind of a reminder of what exactly you're you're contributing to the practice absolutely and we always talk about you know how much value i add to the practice and how much revenue i'm bringing in with for example the dry eye clinic um and it as an employee it makes me feel also very valued and i'm very grateful that I have the opportunity to review my productivity because it allows me to set goals for myself. For example, if I feel that I'm not um, doing a good job of taking care of X condition, for example, um, or I'm missing something in my workup, um, those numbers will also show me that. And that way I can fill those gaps in um, and, and we can work as a team to make sure that the patients are getting the care that they need as well. Fascinating. So was your employer open right from the start with with sharing these financial kind of uh, data points with you? 
Absolutely not. It definitely has been a work in progress. For the first year, I really had no idea how I was producing. Um, and, and so we sat down and um, we talked about, you know, having that open transparency where we could share where I, where I could look at those, uh, that productivity and, and we could share those numbers. Um, and so, and, in in and, um, it's, it's definitely been an interesting ride in that sense, because I had to learn how to do that. I didn't actually really understand how to look at the spreadsheets that they were putting in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. and so even that was a process for me to learn. Right. Do you think that that hesitancy came from the ophthalmology optometry, the owner, associate, male, female? I mean, what were the factors that, that I I know you can't uh, speak to his motivation, but for, in general terms, what might be keeping other um, practice owners from, from sharing that and how would associates address that? I think that for my particular situation, it may have been a result of never really having worked with an optometrist before. And so on Mm -hmm. both ends, we were really at the very beginning tiptoeing around each other and not really knowing. For example, when I came into the practice, I didn't really know how much it could be involved on the administrative side of things or the productivity side of things. Um, And I think it's really important for an employee, if that's the road that they want to go down, where they really do want to look at their productivity, my advice would be, you know, you really do have to take a seat at the table and ask for participation in that. Um, yeah. and, and, and until I didn't ask for participation, I really wasn't granted the, um, you know, access to that information. So I do think it's, it's a little bit of both of what you mentioned, you know, the owner associate relationship and how you develop that and what kind of rapport you have with your employer, but also for our specific situation, we just really were not sure how to navigate the situation. Um, and, right. and I think it, I think it worked out well. Yeah, it it sounds like, uh, I mean, if this is now a routine part of your uh, year, four times a year, it sounds like you've also uh, kind of brought him fully on board with with this. Yes, absolutely. What's interesting, too, is, is you mentioned your initial negotiation and then the, the annual negotiation. This isn't a, a once and done conversation. And I don't think it should be. I think mm-hmm. that if you are a productive part of the practice as an employee, I, I would highly recommend that you ask for access to your productivity so that you can see how much you're making, you can see how much you're bringing in, you can reevaluate because not only does it benefit the practice in terms of revenue, but also for your own personal goals. You know, um, I, I love to look at those numbers and say that, you know, I've increased my patient load from X number to X plus Y. Um, and I love setting those little goals for myself um, to mm-hmm. really see how I can improve myself, improve myself as a practitioner, um, and, and also make sure that the patients are getting what they need and also the clinic is getting what, you, what they need from you. Um, you know, we, we are doctors first, and, and, you know, I hold to that, but we are also in private practice, and private practice is a business. And so being involved in both of those aspects, I think, has really opened my eyes. And I've learned a lot um, about the practice management side of things just by having access to um, the productivity and the revenue that I'm bringing in. Um, And again, I think it really I think it's very, you know, um, encouraging to know that I'm 
valued as a part of this practice and that you know some of my numbers in certain months are even up to par with some of my you know some of the ophthalmologists in the practice and wow. and and that and that was really eye opening to me and I would never have known that if I didn't look at the numbers I suspect it was eye opening to them too yes <laughs> definitely <laughs> and then, then you go back to the negotiation aspect of it where you know when you are bringing so much value into the practice you do have leverage to ask for things that you want so i think you know what um i think it it can come full circle you know um you you can look at your numbers look at your productivity and it feels good it's very encouraging um to know what value you add to the practice and then you can use that as leverage every year when you negotiate your contract um because you know you're bringing in a lot of value to the practice your previous work experiences helped you certainly i'm i'm um in understanding certain elements of, of practice management. How, do, how does this kind of keep building on itself? So um, that, so, so, so that's a great question. Um, I have definitely worked in different practice settings, which require different, I would say, techniques of negotiation. Um, when I'm negotiating my rate or when I'm negotiating my contract, I always have to keep in mind, um, and I would recommend this for anybody, is that, you know, you are talking to a colleague, you know, when you're negotiating, and you do want to make it fair on both sides. And so um, even if I'm filling in just for a weekend at, a, you know, a, an optometric practice, for example, I weigh out the entire scenario and I have to assess, for example, how many patients will I be seeing? Um, and then I negotiate my, my rate accordingly because, not all locations, even if you're comparing retail locations, are not created equal. At one retail location, I could be seeing 10 patients a day. At the second one, I could be seeing 20 patients a day. And so therefore, I will negotiate my rate accordingly because, you know, as an employee, you should be compensated for the amount of work that you're putting in. Um, and so using that experience, then I have kind of built on that to understand what I can use as leverage when I'm negotiating at my current at my current um, position. Did you ask to see the numbers in your initial negotiations? In the initial negotiations, no. Um, so right. I was very focused on the salary package itself um, and, right. and the contract and the CE benefits and things like that. And as I spoke to some of my other colleagues um, in in practice and in similar settings. Um, you know, that's kind of where the idea was born that I should be looking at my productivity and trying to understand what I'm bringing into the practice. How did that go when you first approached it? You, you said that the, 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 uh, the owner wasn't particularly, um, you, you know, thrilled, <laughs> thrilled with the idea, but, um, which I can understand, especially if it, it feels like it might come out of, out of the blue. How, how do you have that conversation? It wasn't, it wasn't a very easy conversation to have at first. And I was definitely very nervous because I didn't necessarily know how much information could be shared with me or would be shared with me. And it was a very new concept even for me. 
Um, and so I definitely, you know, took the advice of my colleagues who were in a very similar position, similar setting, and essentially just threw out the idea during a meeting and said, hey, you know, what do you think about my being able to look at my numbers and my revenue and my productivity? And, you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm negotiating these things, even if it's not, you know, related to the contract, but even if I need something for my clinic, for example, when I'm asking for things, I always relate it back to how it could benefit the practice, especially as a business. Business. And so the way I presented it was, you know, I'd really like to be able to look at my productivity so that I can see where my shortcomings are and see where I can improve. And I do actually use it for that reason. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so that was, you know, a, a, I don't know if you could say a selling point, um, but that was something that really encouraged my employer to take that seriously. What's your what's your advice for for employers on on that? Are there benefits to to sharing the numbers? You know, not not just with associate ODs, but perhaps with other sort of key players in the practice. I do think there's huge benefit because I think that you know it allows the employee to set goals, um, and it really benefits the entire practice, um, especially if your employee is invested and motivated. Um, you know, financially, then I think that allowing them to understand how productive they are in the practice, um, I think is imperative, to be honest. And I think transparency is key, because it also helps develop your rapport and your relationship between employer and employee. So I do think that if there are opportunities, and the employer feels comfortable, um, I I would highly recommend that employers, you know, consider this um, sharing information with their employees. Because it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I mean, it's not it's not that they're opening all the books. I completely agree with that. I think sharing relevant information is is just as important. And and I think, you know, to answer your previous question, also with key administrative players in the practice as well, like the practice administrator really needs to know what's going on um, so that they can help you. I mean, you're building a team, you know, um, and I think what I've learned on the practice management side of things being in this position is that um, you really do need a team, everybody who understands your goals and the the information that you're sharing with them will only contribute to that understanding. So, so obviously, you 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 had to kind of get to know each other uh, on a management level for 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 things like these these practice management issues, clinical issues. Did did the fact that you were the first woman that uh, the the practice hired um, as a practitioner did that introduce new um, getting to know you type moments? Yes, I do think so. I think that, um, I mean, gender, gender definitely plays a role in, um, you know, in a lot of the situations that we encounter with each other. And it's definitely something that we should discuss more as a profession. Um, you know, being the only woman practitioner in the practice, um, you know, sometimes my voice is lost. Um, we're sitting around a large conference table and it's sometimes you know, intimidating or difficult to make my voice heard in a sea of male voices where everybody mm-hmm. is speaking over each other. And in those situations, yes, it's it's difficult. And sometimes I have to create opportunities for myself to ensure that my voice is heard. For example, something that I need for my clinic um, or, you know, if I need more tech help um, or more staff support, you know, something like that. Um, outside of the gender conversation, personalities also do play a role. And naturally, I'm not a very aggressive personality. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so sometimes when there is a large sea of male voices, my instinct is to kind of shrink back and kind of let that play out in front of me. Um, but as time has gone on, I now don't wait for an invitation to be a part of the conversation. I just insert myself into the conversation. And yes, sometimes the, you know, other doctors at the table, they'll interrupt me, they'll talk over me. And that's kind of where, you know, the personalities come in. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just something that I think that as, you know, women, we have to kind of keep um, we have to keep pushing the envelope on that. And we, we, we do have to keep, you know, physically and metaphorically taking a seat at the table and, you know, almost forcing ourselves to participate if we do want to be heard. And in certain situations, that's the unfortunate truth. And having been a part of that, um, you know, where I've, I've had to, you know, continue to speak louder and louder in order for my, for my voice to be heard, I feel that I am breaking barriers and I feel that I am making headway. And, um, you know, sometimes I do see that now, you know, for example, my employer will invite me to be a part of a certain conversation. So I think Mm -hmm. that things are changing, um, but it doesn't change overnight. And sometimes it comes with frustration. Um, And I, and as women practitioners, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a part of the job. So is, so anyone whose um, negotiating style may not naturally be the the predominant one in the in the room. How do you um, how do you teach yourself? How do you in, uh, motivate yourself to to kind of you know step into that role of being the the person who will lean in and and say what has to be said? For me, it took a lot of kind of internal personal coaching. Um, you know, because like I said before, it doesn't really, it doesn't come naturally to me to be aggressive and to talk over people or interrupt, like kind of how I am sometimes, you know, interrupted um, during a meeting. And that doesn't, and so, so I think that for me, there's this internal voice where I had to kind of um, really bring that to the forefront and force myself even if it was uncomfortable. And, you know, there's a saying where, you know, you don't grow if you're not uncomfortable. And and I really mm-hmm. feel that I've grown by putting myself in those uncomfortable positions. And so um, I think really it's, you know, you're, if you're motivated to be a part of that conversation, a lot of times you just throw yourself in. And, and it doesn't always work out in a positive way because your input sometimes you know, is not, um, input is not taken seriously sometimes. Um, and that's Mm -hmm. okay because that's not just something that happens with with women that also happens with men. But I think it's important to take a seat at the table, make your voice heard, and at least kind of put your two cents in there just to participate. And, And that's how I feel that I've carved my way. And having said that, sometimes those conversations are uncomfortable. And sometimes we're at odds with each other. Um, and sometimes your emotions get in the way too. And that's, again, with men and with women. Um, right. and, and I think that happens in any setting or has the potential to happen in any setting, whether a different personality is involved. And I think at the end of the day, it's just a matter of ensuring that everyone can come together as a team um, and, and everyone's working towards a common goal. 
And none of those things are necessarily or inherently bad that emotions come into it um, or, or that, that you don't win, you know, if, if that's uh, how you've, how you've uh, positioned it for yourself. Exactly. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. I a hundred percent agree with that. It's not about winning. Um, and I think that that was also, um, you know, something that, you know, d depending on your personality, you might take personally that, you know, I, they, they didn't take my suggestion seriously. I really feel strongly about this, but it's not personal. Um, especially mm -hmm. when you're, you know, realizing that you're on a team, you're a team member and that you're all working towards one common goal, which is patient care and making sure that we're doing everything to deliver the best patient care that we can. Um, and, and I do think that it's easier said than done because sometimes when you're the only person on one side of the fence and all the other people who happen to be men are on the other side of the fence, then sometimes mm -hmm. that can be a very difficult conversation to have. Um, and it took me a while. And I, and, and even now I do sometimes take things personally because that's in my personality to, you know, I, I sometimes react that way and I have emotions and I think it, that's part of the process is accepting that my emotions will be a part of this process. And, and sometimes there's no room for emotion and I have to extract that from the situation. Um, so it's definitely, there's, defi there's definitely a learning curve, I think. Um, and, and I'm not perfect. You know, sometimes I, I don't say the right thing in the meetings and, and, and I could say that for my, um, you know, my uh, ophthalmology colleagues as well. Um, and, and so we, we learn from each other. Right. Right. And of course, success becomes a, a great reinforcement. I mean, when you do speak up and, you know, you've, you've made your presentation and they've agreed with you and you've gotten your additional tech support or money or equipment or whatever it is that you've, you've asked for, um, uh, I, I think that obviously that resonates with you and it's, it's kind of like, all right, I got to do that again. <laughs> yes, that's exactly, you know, it's almost like when you kind of found a formula that works <laughs> and then you continue to repeat that. Um, and so, and, and with, and, and there definitely is that positive feedback, you know, when I've asked for a certain thing, a certain piece of equipment or, um, a certain product that I want to sell, a certain procedure that I want to offer when we see that, and, and they see that the, um, that the revenue is coming back, then the next time I'm in a position to ask for something, that positive reinforcement definitely motivates all of us to kind of come together and say, oh, well, you know, this worked last time. I, I, we, we have room, um, you know, to try something new and, and perhaps this will work again like it did last time. That's really interesting. And it sounds like it all really comes back to that initial conversation that you, you were talking about. You, you have to, you have to do the research, you have to prepare. And that would be a lot harder and perhaps almost, uh, well, very difficult to do if you didn't have access to some of the numbers. Yes, definitely. Because I feel like that if, if you, you don't really know where you are and how much you're producing in terms of your revenue, you know, it's, it's that much more difficult to then set goals for yourself. I feel like I would be shooting blindly. So I do appreciate access. Dr. Kataria, um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights on how important it is to to prepare yourself and, you know, bring your, bring your best self forward to, to be heard. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you and to women in optometry. And I'm so very thankful for this opportunity. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. 
You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.